Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. Over the last decade, there's been a relatively new concept that's developed across the conservation community. The idea of adopting a public wildlife area to help improve the habitat for public access. Now, there are lots of different ways that these adoptions can take place specific to the state where it's happening. We've got these sort of projects happening in you know, Iowa, Wisconsin, Texas, Nebraska. I mean, most states have some version of adopt a wildlife area. But today we're going, and I'm very excited, we're traveling figuratively anyways, to my home state of Michigan for a conversation with Ben Beeman, Pheasants Forever's state coordinator for Michigan, about how Michigan's Adopt a Game Area works in the Great Lakes state. Ben, I'm, I'm wearing my Detroit Tigers hat specially for you today. Actually, anybody that's been on a Zoom call with me throughout the pandemic knows I wore a Tigers or a Red Wings cap pretty much <laughs> every every uh, Teams or Zoom meeting. But but welcome. It's good to be talking to you today. Thanks. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, so, so it, it, as you mentioned, Bob, I'm, I'm from here in southeast Michigan, uh, just about as far from where you grew up as I could possibly be and still be in the same <laughs> state. Um, what, uh, what town are you in? So I currently live in Lenaway County. The town is called Macon, and it basically doesn't show up on a map. It's between Saline and Tecumseh. You drive 10 minutes south, and I'm in Ohio. No. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So way down here. Uh, grew up in this area. Left briefly after high school. Went out to college in Wyoming, and uh, got mm. my bachelor's degree in wildlife ecology there. Stuck around and got a master's degree there in uh, agricultural and applied economics, which sounds way fancier than what it actually was. I was doing a project with Ducks Unlimited Canada. Uh, forecasting changes in the agricultural landscape on the prairie pothole mm. region and yep. uh, trying to predict how that would impact waterfowl productivity there and use that uh, that master's degree to get a foot in the door with with du and move back here after my master's program and worked for ducks unlimited out of their great lakes atlantic regional office in ann arbor area for a little while until I made the jump over to Pheasants Forever. And uh, I, I love it here. It's a, it's a cool place to work. Um, I, I'm an avid bird hunter. I have three bird dogs at the moment. I've got a, a black lab who's nine, got an eight-year-old English setter. And then this year I picked up a red setter pup. He's 11 months old right now, right in the thick of his first season. And he's you know, still green as grass, but he's showing a, a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of promise, and uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. So, looking forward to 
watching him develop and start getting on some more pheasants here as the year goes on. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Wyoming, that's a, that's a pretty big leap, Michigan to Wyoming. Um, what was that experience like? I, I loved it out there. It, it was a blast. Yeah. And, you know, I was looking for something a little different. Uh, grew up doing quite a bit of traveling, so I got to see cool places. And when it, when it came time to look look for where to go to school. I was looking at, at a lot of Western places in Texas as well. I think it ultimately mm. came down to Texas A&M and Wyoming for me. Uh, and I visited college station, Texas in April and it was like 97 degrees. And I was mm. like, no, nope, nope, I can't do this. <laughs> so Wyoming won that pretty handily. Uh, <laughs> opposite end of the climate spectrum there yeah uh in laramie and but i, I had a blast out there uh that was yeah. really out there was where i i developed my love of bird hunting uh you know i grew up doing a little bit here in michigan but did a lot more big mm-hmm. game hunting as a kid and um a couple of buddies from the my floor in the dorms freshman year got really into duck hunting and and that turned into you know buying dogs and and discovering the the upland birds that wyoming had to offer and uh that all just kind of spiraled all out of control into where i am now so So, you know the wyoming's not the first state that people would think of for duck hunting so it's not but maybe they should i is that really because i I don't think about ducks really yeah it can be phenomenal I mean, phenomenal. Huh. Uh, the Laramie, where where I went to school, uh, is really high elevation. It's seventy two hundred feet, and mm-hmm. so the the downside there is the you freeze up really really early. So they mm-hmm. they set the the season as early in the framework as they can, so you can get as much duck hunting in for that area before it freezes. Because by Thanksgiving, I mean the big reservoirs that we mostly hunted in that area were were solid. Mm-hmm. Um. But some of the the river corridors in the slightly lower elevation parts of the state stay open much longer, like the the North Platte River, and they get up mm-hmm. north into the Bighorn and uh, the Tongue River. They have some mm-hmm. some fantastic duck hunting, uh, especially as you get later into the season. Hmm. I've uh, <clears throat> I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I've been oh the last two years binging um the longmire series and mm-hmm. cj boxes joe pickett series I, I i think the joe pickett who's a game warden fictional game warden in wyoming which is written by cj box and then the longmire series which is a a sheriff um written by uh, craig johnson and they're both set in wyoming i think i don't know all total there's probably low 30s number of books that I've read. Mm. So I am, I'm absolutely addicted to this romantic vision of Wyoming right now that that's, that's my next destination next, next fall, not for ducks, but, but for um, upland birds, I'm going to plan a September trip in search of uh, kind of that, that Western frontier that Wyoming Mm. is sort of uniquely offers it. You know, the more I read, not that these books are about hunting or upland birds, but that's a little bit of the backdrop and the sense of place in a a lot of them. It just seems like, you know, sage grouse, spruce grouse, some rough grouse, um, some sharp tails, pheasants. 
uh, tell me about your upland hunting experience in Wyoming, because it seems like it's one of those sleeper states um, in terms of opportunity that not a lot of people talk about. Other than, I mean, I think it's well known that it's the sage grouse capital of the country. But beyond that, I don't know that a lot of people understand the upland opportunities in Wyoming. No, it, it definitely flies under the radar, similar to how it does for waterfowl. Um, you know, Wyoming, as far as upland birds go, other than sage grouse, you know, it probably doesn't have the highest density of any one species, mm -hmm. but mm. the variety is there in a way that most other states can't match. Uh, mm. You know, it's got highly underrated chucker hunting, uh, huns. If you know where to look for them and you're in a good year uh, with precipitation and everything, the populations are up. I, I love blue grouse hunting, mm. dusky grouse in Wyoming. It's just, it's a blast. And it, it's, it, it's probably the most underrated upland hunt, in my opinion. They get such a bad rap. The vast majority of dusky grouse are shot by elk hunters with a bow or a 22 pistol. Mm. I don't know in the year. I'll bet I bumped into two other people that were actively hunting dusky grouse in the six or seven years that I was doing it out there. Really? Regularly. Yeah. Wow. At, at least not in, in the, the mountains around Laramie where I hunted just, it just was, it's an underutilized resource and populations mm. are pretty stable. Uh, they, they behave nicely for pointing dogs and it, it's a right and they're big you know i mean a, a rooster blue grouse is <laughs> the size of a rooster pheasant and every bit is good to eat if not better so uh huh. i spent a lot of time especially in september uh chasing blue grouse and and we actually pulled the camper out there this past september and uh did a little bit of that i took my well then five-year-old he just turned six but he he tagged along with me and the dogs a little bit and uh we managed to get one. I did a little bit of missing too, but we had a good time. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, sage grouse uh, is a short season later in September for the most part, but they're a blast too. Mm. Usually stop going up into the mountains in October, just because that's when firearm season for elk and deer sure. is going on. And it, it could get a little crowded up there. Uh, but sharp tails, would usually switch to right around the beginning of October uh, in the southeast portion of the state. Some years there, there's a lot of them, and this year supposedly was a pretty good year. Hmm. Uh, Huns were good too. Again, like I said, if you know where to go, and then and Chucker were a blast in the Northwest. Um, and then there's pheasants too in the state of Wyoming in, in pockets in, mm -hmm. in the major river corridors. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Goshen County on walk-in areas and uh, state sections and there's some big wildlife management areas in there where you can find a wild bird or two you work for them it's kind of like michigan in that sense it's not south dakota but they're there mm -hmm. and in years where you get a lot enough rain it's surprisingly good how often do you see um spruces and roughs mixed in with the blues so in the area where i primarily hunted which was the uh, the Medicine Bow National Forest west of Laramie. There are neither. It is oh, okay. Bl blues only down there, and that's largely, at least as far as rough grouse goes, because it's not. There's not a ton of aspen in that mm. mountain range. Uh, so 
you just don't you don't get the roughs there you, you occasionally you'd hear of someone shooting a roughed grouse there and just, are you sure that's what that was mm, maybe mm. maybe i never encountered one um but as you get into the the western mountain ranges of the state that's when rough grouse start picking up and then spruce grouse i uh, would hear mostly of them up in like the northwest corner and then also the big horns uh, north central wyoming west of sheridan have uh well, they call them franklin's grouse up there they're a, a, a subspecies of the spruce grouse but in wyoming okay. huh. there's no season for spruce grouse so there's no spruce grouse hunting oh, they in are. the state of wyoming correct yeah you gotta gotta cross uh, into montana or idaho if you want to actually shoot one well i'm gonna have to uh hit you up outside of a podcast for some intel <laughs> on the where to go, the do's and the don'ts. And uh, fittingly, uh, maybe you can drop me some pins because uh, I'm going to welcome a, a relatively new uh, advertiser on our podcast and um, a longtime national sponsor of the organization, Onyx Maps, the Onyx Hunt app is the number one GPS hunting map for bird hunters and the most trusted and accurate map data, you, um, you'll be able to find more birds across the country using Onyx Maps. Download the app for a risk-free seven-day trial and use the code pheasants during checkout for 20% off at onyxhunt.com. And yeah, I'll, I'll be asking Ben for some pins come I'll send next you some. September. I've got, I've got more than a, I've got more than a few. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's transition back to our our home state of Michigan, and you know we're going to talk. The meat of this episode is going to be about the Adopt a Game Area program in the state of Michigan, but you know we have to you know talk a little bit more hunting um, so far this season. And Michigan's unique in that it's broken up into three different zones. Uh, my home country, the UP, is a pretty short season, three weeks. That's October 10th through the 31st. And then Zone 2, which is part of the, the lower peninsula in Michigan, kicks off October 20th and runs until November 14th. And Michigan is a state where you, you know the hunting days, the openers, based on the date. Um, September 15th is the rough grouse opener every year. doesn't matter if it's a Tuesday or a Saturday. It's always going to be September 15th and November 15th is always the deer opener. No school in the UP. We, we always knew that we had school <laughs> off because November 15th, no matter what day of the week it was, um, it was going to be deer opener. Um, and that's November 14th, the end of the, the pheasant season. But... One unique thing about Michigan is the season kicks back in in parts of the lower peninsula after deer season ends. So we have um, zone three of Michigan, December 1st through January 1st. So as we're recording this, uh, the end of November, actually right in front of Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to you, Ben. Happy um, Thanksgiving to you. Uh, forecast uh, the Michigan pheasant hunting season. How, you know, how, How's it been when you've been able to get out in Michigan so far? And what do you, what do you think uh, as the snow begins to fly and uh, the last month of the season starts to get into focus? Well, I wasn't leading up to the pheasant season this year. I, I wasn't 
sure what to expect. Um, you know, we had pretty easy winter last year. Um, this, the state of Michigan doesn't run any official pheasant surveys anymore. Mm-hmm. We have a, a voluntary rural mail, mail carrier survey that they do, uh, but there's no, you know, crow counts or brood surveys. And so my forecasting is all based on my observations of birds. And, and in my job, my job puts me in, you know, good habitat frequently enough that I generally feel like I can have a good idea of what I'm going to expect. Mm. Um, so yeah, plenty of good, good numbers of adult sightings coming out of winter through spring. And then it just dried up like it did so much of the you know Northern part of the country this year. And, and droughts here in Michigan are not an overly common thing. We're a pretty wet mm-hmm. place generally. And so mm-hmm. I guess it doesn't take too much of a moisture deficiency for us to feel it, but it got real dry and stayed that way through all of the nesting season. And I didn't start seeing broods when I normally do. And so I started feeling kind of down about the outlook. Then about the second week of August, I started seeing a few, uh, but the age of the chicks was really variable. I was seeing some broods Mm. that were, you know, look to be born when you expect, and you know, towards the beginning, middle of June. And then I was seeing real tiny ones. And so my, my forecast was for myself, at least was kind of thinking I was going to see numbers being down a little bit this year. Mm. And so when October 20th rolled around, typically I I have a pretty hard transition from grouse to pheasants at that, at about that October (laughs) 20th point because I live in the pheasant part of the state. Uh, And so maybe it was partly due to the fact that I didn't have super high expectations for pheasants and partly attributed to the fact that there's grouse all over the place this year. I did not make that Mm. transition at my normal time. We kept going, we kept going up North as often as we could having a, having a young pup and with all the birds that there were to find Mm -hmm. up there, it was hard to pull myself away. But I, when I did, I did start going maybe like the second to last season or second to last week of the season and uh, only really got out two times. I hit five public properties. Three of them are adopt a game area program properties. We'll talk about in a bit. One was a hunter access program property, which is Michigan's uh, private land public access program. And then one waterfowl production area. And I moved birds on each property except the hunter access property. And that, and even on that one where I didn't move a bird, the dog got birdie several times and it was surrounded on three mm-hmm. sides by standing corn. So I had mm-hmm. things working against me there. So I think there, there were clearly birds there. Um, but so, you know, two, two times out five properties is a pretty small sample size, but I was encouraged with what I saw. I got a few birds, um, plenty, lots of young roosters. Uh, that I was seeing mm-hmm. and, and the ones I got were, were pretty young. Uh, but I saw some mature birds that were just a little smarter than the dogs and I. Uh, so I'm encouraged. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the December season. I think it's going to be good. Uh, as I mentioned, there's a lot of standing crops still as I was hunting. And hopefully most of the, that corn will be down by the time December 1st rolls mm-hmm. around. And that always helps. Uh, you know, despite the fact yeah. that the birds have been shot at and chased around, especially on public land that, that December season, if you're in that part of the state, which is 
roughly the southeast quarter of the lower peninsula, including the thumb, Mm -hmm. um, that December season for me is always better. Um, Always Mm. get into more birds, just, you know, by nature of having a little less cover on the ground for them to hide in. And uh, I, I really look forward to it every year. Yeah, you mentioned the the thumb, and for folks that ever have met people from Michigan, they'll show you their map and their map or their hands. And if you're from the Upper Peninsula, <clears throat> you know you're uh, you're from the left hand with the palm facing at you with the yep. thumb up. And if you're from the U, uh, the lower Peninsula, if you're a troll like Ben, <laughs> meaning yes, I live under the meaning, bridge. That is correct. <laughs> he lives under the bridge. I'm a youper. I live, I grew up above the bridge, uh, but a troll holds the right hand palm facing you with the thumb um, to the right uh, facing east. And, but the thumb, I bring this up as the map, that's historically been some of the best uh, terrain for the state of Michigan's pheasant population, isn't it? Yep. Yep. And, and still largely that, that holds true. Uh, the, the, the landscape, the agricultural landscape there is just a little more conducive. It's, it's a bit more open. There's not quite as much mature woodlands, although there's some. Uh, a lot of it is surface drained, so you get you know, drainage ditches and, and places where, you know, places that get weedy and that are mm-hmm. away from the mower. Uh, and some of our, you know, our DNR's flagship pheasant property which is verona state game area is up there at the Mm. tip of the thumb and that's always a spot i like to try and hit you know once or twice a year uh it gets it gets pounded every day of the season and there's still birds there yeah Um, so it's a it's a great place to go if and you know when i've got a little extra time in the day or if I'm, i'm lucky and i can work out my work schedule that i need to be there at you know during pheasant season uh, which I certainly try to do. That's, I'm always <laughs> well, welcoming those opportunities. And there's, um, I believe, Michigan's CREP, Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program, was sort of geographically located around that, that thumb, and that helped create a lot of habitat in the state, which was, uh, has been beneficial for the population there, too. Yeah, some of the, some of the CREP signups have targeted the Saginaw Bay watershed. Um, and, and that's, that's what you're talking about there. And so the, the thumb side of that watershed, that was very helpful. Uh, it's also, as far as CRP signup goes, that area ranks pretty well with their, uh, Mm. with their CRP offerings, at at least in terms of when compared to other parts of Michigan, um, partly because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very agricultural. And so there's, they, they want to get more more of that perennial cover on the ground in those areas. Cause there's more, you know, more erosion and, and, and stuff like that down here in the Southeast portion of the state, Lenaway County, where I live is, is very much like the thumb in, in our, the way our landscape looks. And similarly, it, it's another good spot for pheasants in the state. And you, you talked a little bit about, you know, the, in Michigan, sort of how, and this isn't unilaterally true, but it's the way you articulated was similar to how I grew up in, in that you follow the calendar based on the species that you hunt. So your season really starts off September through October chasing rough grouse and woodcock. 
because you can only hunt woodcock through the end of October generally anyways. And I think Michigan is the number one woodcock hunting state in the country. Um, So the flyway across the Great Lakes state is, is really strong. And it's just, especially if you got a pointing dog, having them hold so darn tight for pointers. And you mentioned having a really young red setter that that magnetism for the woodcock in addition to the rough grouse is pretty strong. And you don't generally have snow on the ground in September and October. Um, So, but you do have standing corn. So as you mentioned, like that September, October grouse to woodcock, and then deer season kicks off November 15th to the end of November. And you, so you hunt deer and then there's generally snow on the ground and rough grouse just disappear. Woodcock are gone and the corn is gone. And that means you transition over to hunting pheasants in the lower peninsula. So that, I mean, it, it does follow that path pretty, um, pretty much by the calendar for a lot of Michigan hunters. Doesn't it Ben? Yep. Yep. Definitely. And it's, you know, it's nice in that in most years, it, it, makes the decision kind of easy on where to focus your time and your effort. Like, like I mentioned, this year was a little tricky for me in that case, just because of the way things were. But mm. uh, typically I, I really generally like to hunt the first season, especially, uh, you know, right around Halloween, typically because woodcock start showing up in my pheasant spots mm. and you can get into both in the same time. This year they changed <laughs> it. So woodcock starts, on the same day as grouse typically before it was a week or so later Later, and they changed it. And I I totally see why they did it. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially for the folks that hunt in the Northern part of the state, which were the Mm. majority of woodcock are harvested anyway. But for for those guys that like to hunt them down here in Southern part of the state, the shortening of the season, it it hurt a little bit this year, but um, sure. But that's okay. We still found some up north. My my pup still got had his first wild bird point on a woodcock, and thank goodness I hit it, which is more <laughs> often than not not the case. Uh, so, right, but they are a blast. <laughs> they are a blast. The little tornadoes flying up to the canopy and then zipping uh-huh. away from you. Um, uh, one more shout out here: uh, South Dakota Tourism and South Dakota Game Fish and Parks. Uh, win South Dakota's Hunt the Greatest Giveaway, and you can get an epic pheasant hunt and free shields gear. Enter for a chance to win at huntthegreatest.com. There's still plenty of time to get your trip to South Dakota on the calendar. All right, Ben, let's transition to adopt a game area. I mentioned, you know, when, when Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever members hear this concept they might envision how it functions in their own state where it's soup to nuts from chapters getting dirt underneath their fingernails doing habitat work to um, partnering with the state agency to improve habitat let's talk about specifically how it functions in the state of michigan and 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 what's been happening um, um, in the state of Michigan on the land for adopt a game area. So t- tell us the history about the concept and, um, um, you know, how it's functioning today. Take us at it from the beginning. Sure. So I think there were two, two kind of light bulb moments 
that led to the creation of this program. Um, I guess I'll start by saying it came came as a result of some of the efforts of the Michigan Pheasant Restoration Initiative, which started uh, in 2010 as a 10 year initiative. And it's a, a collaboration between conservation groups uh, working together, pooling our resources to develop grassland habitat at, at the landscape scale. And one thing that's happened around around that timeline i don't know the year it started but dnr started their wildlife habitat grant program which mm. is they, they they set aside a, a pot of money that was available to uh, private individuals and nonprofits and other partner organizations to apply for grants from uh, to improve habitat for wildlife around the state and whether whether it was whether this part was on by design or not a shocking amount of that money ends up coming back to public land, these interested mm. groups that apply for these grants and then do the work on public land. So it was really kind of an ingenious way to help DNR do the kinds of things that they already want to do on the properties they manage without being a drag on their staff time and, and budgets. Uh, you know, they have limited staff at each of these properties and they are, they have their hands full doing habitat projects of their own and this expanded what they were able to accomplish the second light bulb moment was uh, a partnership between pheasants forever and enbridge and dnr several years back uh, where we all partnered to improve habitat on about a dozen state properties and using using contractors to do the habitat work with uh, job specs approved by DNR managers. And in the same way that that grant program accelerated what DNR staff could do on their land, this did the same thing. So we, we looked at that and I say we, I wasn't with PF yet at the time. Um, but the Michigan Pheasant Restoration Initiative Steering Committee started thinking of ways to build on those kinds of partnerships and collaborations to accelerate grassland development on these key key public land properties. And uh, through the hard work of uh, our regional rep, Bill Vanderzowen and uh, previous DNR Wildlife Division Chief Russ Mason and uh, Upland Game Bird Specialist Al Stewart and DNR Conservation Partnership Programs uh, leader Mike Parker and the rest of the steering committee Mm -hmm. They they had this idea to make a concerted effort to pursue more outside funding to do more of these state land projects that, that DNR just didn't have the time or staff capacity to do on their own. So, you know, in addition to the habitat work that they were doing. And so that spun into this adopt a game, adopt a game area program idea. And I kind of think of it as like a mini, uh, a mini capital campaign where you're mm. trying to pull in money from as many different sources as we can to accomplish these projects that have been uh, brought to me by DNR field staff as things that they would like to do, but it's just not, it, it just can't happen for them quite yet. And so, and it, it's been great. Uh, the, it gives, it gives private individuals that, that use and enjoy these properties uh, an opportunity to, you know, 
to get involved and take some ownership and be a part of improving these places that they already use and enjoy. Uh, found ways to work with bigger corporations uh, to get involved mm-hmm. and gives them some good PR from their uh, from their customers that use these properties. And then we take these donations that we get for these projects and use it as match for for grants to bring in to leverage that money to get even more money. And uh, it's been it's been very successful. We uh, we're building uh, these big kiosk signs on each of the 20 eligible state properties that can be sponsored and sponsors get their name on a on a plaque on there uh, on these great big posters that have a map of the property and description of the adopt a game area program information about grassland habitat and grassland wildlife and uh, we use a a tiered donation levels of bronze silver and gold where Five hundred dollar donation or more gets you bronze level. Five thousand or more is silver, and twenty five thousand or more gets you gold level sponsorship. So there, there's something for everybody in there if they're, you know, if they would like to contribute and and help us to develop this habitat and improve the the pheasant population and the pheasant hunting on these properties, as well as for a host of other species, because obviously pheasants aren't the only one using these these grasslands. So when these these contributions come in, and then are those funds, are they used to hire like habitat specialists and biologists to actually do the work on these public lands? Yep. Yep. So uh, I hire a contractor and we have several throughout the state. Uh, and you know, that list is, is growing, seems to be growing a little bit right now, which is great. And uh, I, I work I work one-on-one with the DNR field staff that manage the particular property where a project is going to be done. And we, we develop a, a set of job specs so that it's, it's done to the field supervisor's liking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, make sure this is, you know, done exactly to their specs. And then we hire a contractor to go in and, and get it done. And depending on the project, there's a wide range of types of projects from, you know, occasionally we encounter that your, your easy stereotypical grassland restoration where there's an old a field that was sharecropped or an ag field that they're pulling out of production. And, you know, that's easy. You just wait for them to be harvest and you can go in and plant it to, you know, more, much more large scale projects where you've got to remove brush. Most projects in Michigan mm-hmm. require some element of brush removal just because mm-hmm. in Michigan things, if you let them sit, they want to be trees. Uh, it, it mm-hmm. wants to be woods. That's just the way it is here. So um, they tend to be uh, more uh, high dollar projects. You know, it just it takes a lot of mm. prep work to get the site ready to plant the the native grasses and the wildflowers. But the the it comes from full circle, and you know, having seen something that was you know choked out with autumn olive and other invasive brush and to bring it back to a state that it probably very well might have been at some point in history uh, is kind of a cool, it's a cool evolution to see happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so are you doing prescribed burns or is it, um, and are like food plot plantings or is it more brush removal and nesting cover planting, brood cover, prairie flowers, or is it soup to nuts, all of those things? It's, 
through the Adopt Game Area program, we're not doing much food plot planting. Typically, uh, on most of these properties, uh, DNR is doing that part themselves, whether that's through their planting it themselves or they have sharecropper. And part of the agreement is they leave some of that crop standing. Uh, we focus mostly on uh, establishing grassland cover or enhancing existing grassland cover. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, sometimes we're going in and, and do start from scratch restoration to prairie. So, you know, for example, um, we had a, a cool project that's been going on for several years at corner state game area in the Southwest part of the state. That was, I mean, huge tree removal project at the front end, getting these, these big, I mean, getting these areas cleared and then slowly getting those sites prepped to where they were ready to be planted to native grasses and wildflowers. And, you know, it takes a lot of, there's a lot of time involved because those, the, that brush wants mm -hmm. to come right back. So, you know, removing mm -hmm. it is step one, keeping the brush back is, you know, step two and three and four. And then once <laughs> you're in, a, you're at a state where that brush is under control, then you can, if there's, if there's dirt work that needs to be done, you can do that. And by dirt work, I mean tilling. Preferably, I, I like not mm -hmm. to do that if not if it's not necessary. Um, and then planting as the last step, and then the maintenance, keeping keeping the invasives from getting in for a little while as the prairie establishes itself. It's almost um, you, you almost can't stress enough a point you made earlier about you know Michigan, and this is true of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Pennsylvania, New York. You can't stress enough that everything because of the moisture because of the soil wants to grow to trees yep. and deer and turkey populations have exploded east of the mississippi river as a result of habitat progressing from um, grasslands prairies to brush to early successional to you know beyond right to deep forests and woods and one of the biggest components is habitat management or grassland management to keep that grassland ecosystem intact. That's the the critical component east of the Mississippi River for pheasants, isn't it? Yep. It's and it's it's all about disturbance. And the the big area where Mich Michigan specifically changed uh, was when fire dropped out of the the landscape, you know, a regime of intermittent mm -hmm. fires, keeping areas clear of trees and brush. And I mean, unsurprisingly, as, as populations of people grew in the area, there was more and more fire suppression because no one, you know, no one wants fires to get out of hand. And, uh, and that has resulted in this pretty dichotomous landscape that we have now, which is intensive agriculture and mature woodlands. In the southern part mm -hmm. of the state, you know, grouse, there's not many grouse left in the southern part of the state, whereas, you know, 40 years ago there were. And that's largely because what at the time was young forest, which had been recovering from the overlogging done, you know, uh, almost a century ago, that's all grown up mm -hmm. into stuff that's no longer suitable for grouse. And grouse like the young forests. And same way with pheasants, you know, they, the, mm -hmm. the weedy, grassy fields just kind of have disappeared from the landscape. And uh, it wants to be woods and it'll, it'll be grassland if you, if you give it a little help to stay that way and keep the invasives and the brush from encroaching. 
so it's 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 labor intensive but it's worthwhile because that's before you know, european uh, establishment in, mm-hmm. in michigan there were lots of grasslands because of the intermittent fires i mean there were bison in michigan there were greater prairie chickens in michigan and um obviously it's we're not looking to restore it to that extent although we'd love to Mm -hmm. it's just it's not feasible but uh making sure you have a good patchwork of perennial grassland and wildflower cover to go along with the the farmland and the woods Uh, we can produce pheasants here in michigan and i I know know, plenty of farmers who have some ground in crp that can attest that with relatively little ground mm-hmm. in good pheasant habitat, we can produce a lot of pheasants here. Just mm-hmm. we, we need to work to to get more of those patches around. When you talk about the game areas in Michigan, um, how big of properties are are these? I, I mean, is it are some of them small, some of them medium, some of them large, or yep. you have really big properties in 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 the state that these uh, habitat work is done. It kind of runs the gamut size-wise. Um, I think I sort of mentioned earlier, there's there's really 20 properties that, that are encompassed in this program mm-hmm. right now, and we're working to expand that. But there are some really large ones, uh, like Sharonville State Game Area, which is here close to me, uh, Verona State Game Area up in the Thumb. You know, and, talking and, thousands. and how many acres, roughly? Thousands. Wow. Thousands. Yeah. For those ones. And now not all of that is pheasant habitat or can be pheasant habitat. All of them have woodlands and stuff too, but some of them are very big properties, but then there's some that are, they're much smaller, you know, a hundred, 200 acres. Um, We have a a large network of mini state game areas in the thumb specifically that they are all eligible as part of the adopt a game area program under the category of mini state game areas. So it's really much more than 20 properties but some of those are you know 60 acres 80 acres uh and you know the big ones typically have a few more project opportunities so unsurprisingly most of the money we've raised has has gone to the larger ones but we've got projects on just about all of them and you know some of them are some of the small ones there was already some good cover and you know we've had some small projects to go in and knock invasives back out of already pretty good habitat um some of them like i mentioned cornish is not a super big property although they just they just added on to it uh that was you know full scale changing it from brushy cover to you know pheasant habitat that, that's mm. been a very cool project so it it could very variable what's the uh what's the reaction been to this concept uh throughout the state of michigan it's been good. Initially, I think the, the biggest reaction I would get was, uh, you know, people trying to, in their mind, they were likening it to like a adopt a highway program. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of states have an adopt a wildlife area program. That's very much like that, where, you know, yep. a, a group or a company or a family can adopt a property and go in and they pick up trash and they clean out the wood duck houses or, or, you know, replace wood duck houses, small things like that. And that's certain, certainly not to discount those kinds of projects, but this is, this is something different entirely. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, this is an opportunity for different people and groups to come together and, and work together to create a better product 
at the, you know to create better habitat and better wildlife hunting and viewing uh, at these properties it's just it's, a, it's just a bit more expansive than that mm-hmm. <clears throat> i'm always um you know i i frequently go to the michigan state meeting and i'm always um really buoyed excited by how much passion there is within the pheasants forever membership or just generally michiganders who love the pheasants forever model and love love pheasants in the state of michigan as you, you mentioned earlier like you know it's south dakota is kind of the valhalla right for for everybody knows it's pheasant capital of the country but um Michiganders love pheasants just as much as South Dakotans do. And and, and that uh, it's really cool to see that the amount of passion that exists across Michigan for um, improving habitat for these birds. And that's what I'm most excited about. You know, you, you see this Michigan Pheasant Restoration Initiative. You see the Adopt-A-Game, like, Adopt-A-Game area program. There's a desire to be innovative to and to continue to to improve the habitat in the state for these birds um you know and and it takes money and it takes actually a little bit more management than some other arid climate areas right because of the moisture Definitely. and the soil it takes fire it takes seeding it takes brush removal and that takes dollars so it's it's really nice to see how much effort and how much passion there is in the state of Michigan. Yeah, Ben, if folks want to learn more, if they want, um, you know, to maybe learn more about co- contributing to adopt a game area or get involved um, with Michigan Pheasant Restoration Initiative, where where would you point them? Well, if you're looking to contribute to the Adopt-A-Game Area program, the best place to go is michiganpheasantsforever.org. We have a tab, AAGAP, Adopt-A-Game Area Program. You can click on that tab, and there's a whole bunch of supplemental information on the program, a map of the properties, and there's a link that sends you to a donation page where you can get on there and select the individual property where you want your money to go and make your contribution. It's, it's, it's as easy as that. Um, but I always encourage people to reach out to me directly and my contact info is plastered all over that webpage, as well as the signs on each of the properties, <laughs> questions or talk about, want to talk about, you know, how, how a contribution would be used. I love talking to people about yeah. that stuff and, uh, or talk to, you know, if you're at a banquet, we have a, as you mentioned, we have an awesome cast of volunteers mm-hmm. around the state and members that, We'll be more than happy to talk to you about it or send you my way. Uh, it, it's, it's been, they've been instrumental in making the program happen, connecting me with, with more, uh, with companies that, that are interested in contributing. And it's just, yeah, we think it's been a resounding success and are excited to see where it goes into the future. I didn't know that your contact info is on all the public access signs. <laughs> it's all over it. <laughs> uh, so what's you got? You have to have a, a cherry of a story that's come from uh, somebody. You don't have to disclose names, but uh, an email or a phone call that's that's uh, happened as a result of your contact info on a habit on a public access sign. You know. I don't know that the best ones haven't 
so much come from the, my contact information being on signs uh-huh. um, as it has from my contact info being on like email blasts through DNR's email mm. list. Um, it seems like most of the people that are there on those sites, they know what's going on and why. And the signs explain a little bit of it too. Um, I think where I've gotten some interesting emails have been from those email blasts where, you know, people are wondering why we're cutting down brush or trees. And mm. it, you know, it, 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 it turns into a great opportunity to educate sure. somebody on why, why we're doing this. Cause there is a reason it's not, you know, it's not random, uh, you know, cutting down, you know, cutting down trees in the right way at the right place at the right time is, is not necessarily the, the terrible thing that some people think it is, or that, you know, they've learned that it is. And, you know, that's not their fault. They, they haven't heard the other side to that story. You know, we're not, you know, we're not doing it to destroy. We're doing it to build something Mm -hmm. that is much more limited on the landscape here. We have no shortage of woodlands here. Sure. Uh, And that doesn't mean we should just go knocking them all down, but, uh, Know, sacrificing a little bit of those woodlands or, or brushlands to to restore a prairie, which is a, I mean, an endangered species as far as habitat goes in this area, is does much more good uh, than it does harm. So, interesting story about having your contact info out in a public place. Over, it must have happened in, within the last two weeks. Um, so I, I live in where my area code is 651. Well, if you transpose that just a little bit, 615, um, that area code is Nashville, Tennessee area, or I, I believe mm-hmm. it to be anyways, somewhere in Tennessee. <laughs> and uh, my phone number at Pheasants Forever was on a flyer for horse boarding in the Tennessee area, Nashville area. Um, so I got 17 voicemails about boarding horses over the weekend. <laughs> so oh, you just never know. You just never know. It's kind of a, that was a missed opportunity to make some money, Bob. Yeah, it might've been. It might have been. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course. But, um, yeah. It's well, funny how that works out. Yeah. Um, closing thoughts on, on, uh, what you want to leave folks that, um, um, about Michigan's adopt, adopt a game area. Well, I'd, I'd let people know if, if, if they haven't checked it out before, check it out on michiganpheasantsforever.org. Look at the map of the properties, go visit some of them. If, if you're yeah. someone that's interested in bird hunting and pheasant hunting, as you know, so much of our support structure is try it. I, I, you run into a lot of people in Michigan that, that think we don't have pheasants. Um, and you know, they can't, I don't blame them for thinking that because they're not looking in the right places, but mm-hmm. go check these properties out. Most of them are the right places to look. And uh, I, I'm not going to say always, but almost always move birds on these properties mm-hmm. when I'm out there with my dogs. And, and I think people would be surprised. So go take a look. If you like what you see and what we're doing, get involved, take some ownership of these properties. You know, they're, they're your land just as much as anyone else's and, uh, and help us do even better and do even more. We're, we're excited to expand this program to new properties where we currently don't offer it and you know, maybe stretching up a little farther north than it currently goes. And, 
um, as well as you know some some new efforts coming in the state to have more of an impact on the surrounding private farmland to to mm. make them even better. So we're uh, we're we're working hard to try and try and raise Michigan stock as a pheasant hunting state, and uh, when we hope people can get on board and help us do it. Outstanding. Do you know where you're going to go for the second half of the season? I, I'm I I I know where I will go. I have all the spots picked out. It's just a matter of order when I yeah. go there. Um, <laughs> I I'll be in South Dakota the the first full week of December. I go uh-huh. there every year with some buddies from college. Uh, but the first few days of the season, uh, I'm sure I'll be out at least once or twice. I've got some work stuff to do at some of these good properties. That's, it's not so coincidental as you might think that, uh, <laughs> my work gets me to these properties at those specific times. Um, <laughs> but it creates a good opportunity for me to be there at the right time. So, um, yeah, I have, I have a rough plan in my head for how good I'm going to, how I'm going to attack it, but I, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. I am encouraged by what I saw in the first season and uh, my dogs are ready to go. This is the lull where they don't get to do anything except go on normal runs where there's no birds and mm. they'll be, they'll be excited to get back out. Yeah. Cause deer season's open, but by the time this airs, it'll be the second half of the mission, Michigan pheasant hunting season. So uh, Ben Beeman, good luck to you. Um, as you, kick off the second half of the Michigan hunting season. Thanks, Bob. And uh, even though his, his uh, contact info is on all the public access signs, I'll, I'll give it to you here if you want to email Ben and uh, learn more about making a contribution to Michigan's Adopt a Game Area program. It's You can connect with Ben at bbeaman, B-E-A-M-A-N, at pheasantsforever.org. And I am a Bob St. Pierre thanking you for listening and reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening.